0: Welcome back to Box to Box Cell. I'm Alexi Barcetta, your host, and as usual, I'm joined today by Jesse Parker Humphreys and Abdul Abdullah. How are you two? Oh, good.
1: Good, good. It was better than this morning. Yeah, that's good. I'm good. <laughs>
0: that's always good. <laughs> um... We're here this week to analyze all WSL action that happened over the weekend, and the first match of the weekend kicked off at Old Trafford, and Manchester United saw a solid 2-0 win over West Ham in the Theatre of Dreams. Lauren James opened the scoring minutes into the second half from a close-range header uh, brought in back from Maria torres Dardier that finally got used for her height in the box. And a few minutes later, Shaki Roonan slotted an, an exquisite ball into the box for Christian Press to get a first-time finish to tally up her third WSL goal. Now, a blow to West Ham, who are still in that relegation battle and now sit at the bottom of the WSL table with just nine points. But to their advantage, they still have two matches in hand over Bristol City, who sit just two spots ahead of them with 11 points. So that's a big advantage they have now, even though they do look bad at the moment sitting at the bottom. And overall, it was a relatively comfortable match for United, but not the most sound of performances that we've seen before. And West Ham went down to 10 players with roughly 15 minutes left in the match. And again, United failed to capitalize on the situation that they had against Arsenal, a similar situation there. And Casey Stoney went with the same... 4-2-3-1 lineup as the Arsenal game, with the only change being Maria Tarastatir in right back for Martha Harris. And Jesse, United have been playing good, but definitely not their best. Um, In this particular match, you saw formation in a lineup that hasn't particularly been as clean and as good as maybe people expected it to be or as Casey Stoney wants it to be. And we've seen early in the season perhaps a more sound of more exciting United and maybe it is because of injuries, but what did you make of United's performance against West Ham?
2: Yeah, I think it feels like at the moment, Casey Stoney is maybe trying to fit a lot of square pegs into round holes. I think with the injuries to Leah Goulton and Tobin Heath in particular, she's lost those really effective wide players, both of whom were causing defensive massive issues and, you know, kind of in their place, she's put Lauren James there, who, you know, is, is a fantastic player. She's clearly very talented and I think actually has quite similar attributes to Golden and Heath, but perhaps doesn't have the same positional discipline as those two, obviously, older players. And I think as a result, you get James playing in, in quite a free role, drifting across the pitch. And then you've also got Ella Toon on the right-hand side, who also likes to kind of come in centrally. Then you've got Lucy Staniforth, who's actually kind of in that more central space. And watching this performance, it just felt like everything became very narrow, very congested. And with West Ham playing a back five, everything was just kind of hap- happening in, in, front of, in front of their defence. And they didn't, didn't really feel like United had the wit to kind of go around that. With that being said, I think West Ham looked very organised. This isn't the same kind of West Ham team that you know we were seeing earlier in the season I thought they were pretty impressive actually for lots of it I thought Grace Fisk in particular like really stood out to me as someone who I felt really read the game well so it it just felt like she was cutting out lots of opportunities for United before they became issues I thought she marshaled Kristen Press really well as two but you know in the second half we kind of saw Casey Stoney move Jackie Gronin forward a bit more from that front two and it kind of felt like Ella Toon was coming back a bit more and then Eventually, uh, Kirsty Hansen came on for Lucy Stanapol. And I felt like that, you know, Jackie Rowan had a really, really good game. Uh, she looked great playing clo- like close up to Kristen Press, and some of her passing was, was really amazing. It was definitely one of the best I've seen of the season. So that kind of works. And, you know, look, United have had loads of injury problems. And, you know, when you're still grinding out wins like this, I, I think it's fine. Like... I've seen, you know, some people say that they're kind of like relying on players to to bail them out. But that's why you buy really good players. So, so when you're not playing great as a team, you you have someone to bail them out. So, you know, I I just hope that, you know, I really hope that Preston he'd stay and everyone kind of gets back to full fitness because I just think this United team that we're watching at the moment is is just a shadow of of what this squad could
0: be. You know, as you said, you know, a shadow of what this team could be without their injuries you know they got injuries to probably they had the most unlucky injuries that they could possibly have with Tobin Heath with Leah Galton out those were big players that influenced the game very heavily you know we saw early in the season against Man City Tobin Heath got that belter of a goal that that got their comeback um started and Leah Galton did step up into that position that Tobin Heath left behind when she got injured and she brought in that that Presence in that attack, the aggressiveness to go forward, the aggressiveness to get the ball back, and now she's gone. And like you mentioned, you know Lauren James has started into that spot, but perhaps that aggressiveness in attack is what Man United are, are missing at the moment. And unfortunate for them, yeah, some of their their best signings and some of their best players have are injured at the moment. And it is looking. I would like to say it is looking likely that Press and Heath will stay for next year. Um, but Abdullah, you know, United enjoyed 74% possession in this game against West Ham. They had 16 attempts on goal to West Ham's 10, so clearly dominant in the numbers. But when you looked at the shots on target, they had the same amount of target, target at the end of the game, five five each. And Abdullah, what does this say about this United side? What are they lacking?
1: I guess they're I guess they're lacking. Um you know, obviously that, that 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 clinical touch in terms of just, you know, getting shots away. I think um, kind of touching on what Jesse said earlier, formation now is so narrow with everybody wanting to come inside. You almost have too many people wanting to take shots and it's more, it's becoming more quality over quantity. You know, you've got, you've got some people who, have, who are excellent at, at taking the ball forward and, and getting into good positions and wanting to shoot. But the thing is, if, if you're going up against the, a low block and a compact of back, you know, back five, and you're you're trying to shoot from there. A lot of it's going to go off target because they're just you're going to have bodies in the way, and, and, and that becomes a, an issue. And that kind of just goes to show that they were only able to get the breakthrough minutes into the second half. Also, I think just again touching again. Tobin Heath is a huge miss. She's, I think, their best shot taker in the team. Um, And if I look at the rankings right now for this season, Tobin Heath, even though she's been injured for quite a few games, it ranks fifth in the WSL for shots taken per 90 at 3.82. And that's the highest that, you know, of any uh, United player. And the next one to come in is Christian Press, who comes in at, sorry, is is Ella Toon at three, you know, at seventh, and then Christian Press at 10th. So, you know, their best kind of attacker in terms of creating shots and 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 doing that is obviously out injured. And I, I think you know I think this this squad can do a lot better. There, there there's definitely shades of Casey Stoney trying to figure out what her best attacking unit is. Obviously you need, I think Thor of finally playing made sense. Like mean, we got her height. I think she had a decent game. But I think the team needs their their identity going forward. There needs to be a set structure and I think there needs to be that first choice front or almost you know I don't think Casey Stoney knows exactly who she wants to play up front and I think once she has a clean bill of health and everyone's fit and then everyone's raring to go I think with a little bit more time I think this squad could do really really well
0: yeah and you know it is true that perhaps Casey Stoney hasn't really found that that what works best especially with Tobin Heath and Leah Galton out particularly and um, we've seen Lucy Stanley Ford slip into that number 10 role kind of playing a bit higher than than Shakirunina and Katie Salem and you know that is still new you know Lucy Standingforth is a world-class player but it is still new and it's a it's a different style of play than what we were seeing when Ella Toon was in that role and um, they bring two very very different players you know Ella Toon is more she gets a lot of shots on target because she is good at attack she attacks more but Lucy Standingforth is more of a of a playmaker when it when it comes to that position and Man United played Tottenham, Bristol City, and Everton for the last three matches of the league. And obviously, you know, Tottenham are struggling at the moment. And we're going to touch on that next because Tottenham Hotspur Stadium hosted the North London Derby where Arsenal waltzed to a comfortable 3-0 victory over a struggling Spurs side. This was Rhiann Skinner's sixth match without a win. And this was Arsenal's fourth consecutive win and clean sheet kept. It's the first time they've done it ever. They've never gone over three matches with a clean sheet. And I was there at the stadium and it was a really enjoyable watch. I dreaded having to work there because I just wanted to sit back, sip my coffee and and just watch the match. I think it was a vintage Arsenal on display. You know, swift movement and quick passing through each third of a pitch, particularly Kim Little and Jordan Nobbs and Joe Ward were excellent in holding the ball and linking play. Danielle van de Donk, too. I don't know if you guys saw those photos of her going up against Alana Kennedy, trying to shield the ball from her. And it was um, Alana Kennedy was basically twice her size. But also the wings were used a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot throughout the match. And the wingers stayed really, really high. Most of the time when they got the ball, they would cut inside and let... Noel Maritz and Katie McCabe overlap. That is how Arsenal's first came first goal came about. A ball from Kim Little in the midfield from Laiboubenboe, a centre-back. She passed it out to Caitlin Ford, who was told to stay wide at all times. So she was basically heels to line on that. As soon as she got the ball, she cut inside. Noel Maritz overlapped her and exploited that space. Caitlin Ford then passed to Noel Maritz, who took a touch and then cut it back to Caitlin Ford, who got to slot home on a first touch in the far post to open the scoring. and. Jordan Nobbs was playing almost a false winger on the left side. The formation was a classic 4-3-3, and the top three were Jordan Nobbs, Vivian Riedema, and Caitlin Ford. But obviously Jordan Nobbs isn't necessarily a winger. She drifts inside a lot, and she likes to link play inside the midfield. And you saw Katie McCabe being involved in the attack on that wing particularly. And Jesse, maybe you, you watched it probably from a better angle on TV than I did but what did you take from this really good positional movement that we saw from Arsenal?
2: Yeah the angle was amazing that's the advantage of when these games get um, played in the bigger stadiums you get a great aerial aerial view and I think what you really noticed from watching this on TV was just how fluid Arsenal were and I think that was particularly stark because Tottenham were playing this incredibly rigid 4-4-2 and it just felt like Arsenal would Moving as they wanted in in a way that felt almost impossible to to track. If you're going to play a formation that that rigid against them, and yeah, I I agree. I, I know uh, Abdullah also wants to touch on on the fullbacks, but I think what's really exciting about Katie McCabe in particular when when she kind of plays on that same side as as Jordan Nobbs is not only. Is she able to overlap knobs when knobs cuts inside? katie McCabe is also very good at cutting inside, and I think it's that kind of, that's the kind of flexibility that actually makes it so hard to defend against. It's so unpredictable when it works and and when it's going well. um And I will say, actually, to be fair to the eighteen-year-old fullback Esther Morgan that Tottenham are playing, I thought she had a relatively good game. After about fifteen minutes, I thought, oh my gosh, this could be an absolute nightmare for her. But you know, she she. Definitely didn't like embarrass herself in it, any way. It could have been
0: worse to say the yeah, least. Yeah, given who
2: she was up against, I, I thought it, it was pretty impressive. Um, Abby McManus, on the other hand, uh, had a less than good game. But yeah, you know, I I, I thought this was like, yeah, Arsenal at their very fluid best. But I think Spurs kind of helped them out in that respect.
0: And yet, Abdullah, you know, touching on those four backs, Noel Maritz and Katie McCabe were ever so present in the attack. Kate McCabe scored that third goal. Yes, that was a third goal. She cut off a, a pass back from the Taunton defense and she just capitalized that on a 1v1 with the keeper. You know, she is her attacking presence as a defender is absolutely ridiculous. And Abdullah, what were your thoughts on the fullbacks in particular in this game?
1: I, I thought they were outstanding. I thought they were they were both so ever present. Both McCabe and Murray were ever present in the in the attacking third, and obviously they didn't have to do too much defending. And obviously they prefer being at the you know in the final third of the pitch. I think they've really grown grown into it um, this season. And you're finally seeing, I mean, especially Marie, it's kind of come into her own and, and, and get used to England and kind of get used to the team and the way and style of playing. Obviously, she's still young. But, you know, overall, I think I think the fullbacks have become such key players uh, for Arsenal this season, more so than they were in previous seasons. You know, I think uh, there were question marks over them last year about their effectiveness and their consistency and, you know, whether they were, you know, whether Lisa Evans and McCabe who were basically the first choice last year, whether they were even capable of being the long-term solution just because they were, you know, essentially, you know, at the time they looked like wingers wingers playing at, at, at fullbacks, you know, uh, a lot of the time. But I think this season, especially McCabe, has really come into her own. Um, she's really made the fullback, whether she's playing right back or she's playing left back, I think she's, really made it her own and she's showing a lot of uh, a lot of growth especially in her attacking game I mean the the runs that she would make overlapping coming inside shots that she's been able to take she she almost reminds me of um, a little bit of like Marcus Alonso for, for Chelsea who's just you know who just kind of you know dominates that left wing especially when he plays as a wing back you know was once considered even to some extent his top three four wing back in the world McCabe has that vibe of just being so dangerous in the final third that Every time she gets the ball, you can kind of expect her to either create something or score herself. So, so I think I think the fullbacks have become key to Arsenal's uh, success this season.
0: I think it will
2: be really interesting to see what happens when Steph Catley comes back from injury because obviously yeah. Arsenal kind of picked her up as, you know, being one of the best left backs in the world, and we've barely seen her play. But then arguably, I think Katie McCabe's probably been Arsenal's best player for the majority of the season. So it's going to be really fascinating to see how Montemuro kind of manages manages that when, when Catley comes back.
1: Yeah, it says there's a lot of choice for him now, which I think if he's going to be playing, if they manage to reach the Champions League positions for next season you're going to need a, a bigger squad and, and having four, essentially four excellent choices at fullback for rotation purposes is going to be essential. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see who he eventually ends up opting as his, you know, first two choices.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, we talk about Steph Catley being one of the most underrated signings in the summer because it, you know, her quality is is ridiculous. And sadly we haven't been able to see her play that much in an Arsenal setting, sorry to say. And, it is true. You know, Katie McCabe, I think at the beginning of the season, a lot of people were asking her about, you know, this new competition with Noel Maritz and, and Steph Catley. And she was kind of like, you know, I know the quality that there is and I do need to step up my game. And unfortunate for Steph Catley, maybe fortunate for Katie McCabe, that the Australian has been out with injury. But Katie McCabe has definitely shined in that position and, and has, you know, proven proven it really hard for, for Joe Montemuro now to kind of pick his best starting Fullbacks and, you know, going back to this match, Arsenal had sixty-four percent possession, six hundred and thirty-two passes with ninety-one percent passing accuracy. You know, with four league matches left, Abdullah, Arsenal seemed to finally be in form. Something that we've been waiting for. You know, maybe since the start of the season, where we saw them. You know, Joe Ward scored two hat tricks back to back, and then hasn't really done anything since. And that kind of sums up the entirety of the of the Arsenal team throughout the season. But does this make you confident that they can see out the last matches against Bristol City, Brighton, Everton, Aston Villa? And I think they still have that West Ham match to
1: make up for too. Yeah, I actually, you know, for the first time this season, I I, I think I can, you know, come out and safely say that I think Arsenal should be able to navigate themselves to at least winning I think most of them if not all of them but uh, you know I think uh, Everton will be a tricky game that'll be a tough one I think that may you know become a game changer you know of sorts uh, otherwise it's uh, I, I think Arsenal can do it and then you know they should put them in a good position to to reach the top three.
0: You know keeping on topic with this Everton is is arguably the most the hardest match that Arsenal have to overcome in order to, to stay in that Champions League position You know, obviously, Everton, we're going to talk about it later, but Everton had a huge performance over Brighton that, you know, maybe perhaps I was expecting it to be a bit closer, considering that Brighton can play really, really well on their day. And what are you saying about that? You know, Arsenal are an experienced team with world class players. And when they're coming up against a team like Everton, who perhaps don't have that experience, who don't have the same, you know, quality of players, you know, is that going to make a difference when they go up against them?
1: Yeah, I think so. It's um, that's, that's, that's a good point. I do think it is. Uh, it is something that's going to be uh, that's going to be a huge a factor in, in the game. Everton have surprised people with their form this season. They started off well. They were, I mean, they've been patchy, but they've had really good moments through the season. You know, they. They've made some smart you know some smart acquisitions. Valerie Gauvin has been an excellent signing. I think Izzy Christensen from Lyon has been a very, very smart pickup as well. Claire Emsley, Nikolai Sorensen, I think these players are really, really good. I think this season might come too soon for them to be able to maybe sneak into the top three, four. I I think give it a couple more, give it another season of experience, playing with each other, getting used to the league. And once they get a little bit of momentum going, you know, over the next couple, you know, over the next season or so. I think they can really challenge for that top 3 top 4 position but I think for now Arsenal's experience the quality of players that they have across the pitch I think that is I think that should be good enough to to see them through though um you know we can we can completely rule out Everton being able to cause an upset of of sorts but um I'm pretty confident I think Arsenal should be able to navigate their way through that though I think that should be their toughest assignment uh, for the season.
0: Yeah and and moving on to a different match now. Manchester City labored to a 1-0 victory against Reading. Despite creating a host of good chances, it looked like City were going to suffer the same fate as they had early in the season of failing to capitalize on their opportunities. That was until Lauren Hemp stepped up with a scintillating dribble to go past four Reading players and square the ball to give Chloe Kelly an easy tap-in in in the 87th minute of the match. Still, it was hardly the most confidence-boosting 90 minutes for a Manchester City team who will be attempting to overturn a 3-0 deficit against Barcelona on Wednesday. Gareth Taylor had rested key players with Ellen White and Sam Hughes dropped to the bench, which also meant that we had finally the opportunity to see Roosevelt pay in her favorite midfield position. But there might be some concern as Demi Stokes was substituted with an injury. And obviously, as we saw in the last game against Man City Barcelona, Demi Stokes played a big role, you know, other than giving away a penalty, she did play relatively well and and squared up to Barcelona a bit better than than Morgan perhaps and Jesse, why do you think city are still struggling to put away chances this season
2: yeah it's a it's a strange one I mean I think obviously dropping Ellen White to the bench was probably the the main cause of this today um Taylor put George Samway up front, and I just really don't like. Stanway in that kind of central striker role at all I I don't think she's got any of the clinical ability to kind of make the most of that position and I mean Lucy Bronze had a number of like good opportunities Grace Maloney the the Reading goalkeeper had a pretty good game to be honest um, even if she was almost lobbed because apparently she's five foot six which I didn't realize which is a very strange height for a goalkeeper but yeah it, it just felt like quite a, a languid city display I thought Lavelle was pretty decent she feels a lot more mobile than Muis. and I thought her link-up play with bronze and and Kelly was a lot more dynamic than than maybe it is when Sam Muis kind of plays in that position but at the same time it, it kind of felt understandable that it it wasn't great because Lavelle hasn't had many minutes there. So you, you could kind of see something of the spark, but it, it wasn't really quite linking up. And, you know, Lavelle had a number of opportunities to kind of shoot from positions that you would normally think were her kind of favoured positions to shoot from, kind of that edge of the box area, which we've seen her be so effective from for the United States. Um, but it just doesn't feel like she's got much confidence at the moment, which I, I think isn't really helping there.
0: In general, as we mentioned earlier, you know, this wasn't perhaps the, the most convincing 90 minutes and convincing win that, that City perhaps needed against the big tasks that they're being asked to do uh, to come back from a 3-0 deficit against a high-flying team, Barcelona. And Abdullah, you know, a shaky and a very marginal win for City. Who have this big match on Wednesday? What are your thoughts on how City will get on Wednesday? You know, after seeing this match, after seeing what they lack, uh, do you think that they're capable of, of a comeback?
1: I know people can't see my face, but you two can. <laughs> and I'm saying you're smiling, and like, I, honestly, like I think I think the tie is over. I think the tie was over last week. Once they won, once Barcelona kind of won three nil. Um, this performance doesn't give any do anybody any favors. It doesn't you know instill any real confidence into you know I think into fans's in you know, at least into my mind that they can mount a comeback. Uh, I don't know it's 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 weird like one week we get a a clinical amazing Manchester City side and then the next week we get someone who's completely different you know and it comes back to a little bit of inconsistency again you know I think Rose Lavelle not getting it like you know you you got you guys touched on already look Rose Lavelle not getting consistent minutes I think has really hurt them uh, has really hurt them this season um, Her not being able to play, I know she's been injured in the beginning and I know she wasn't able to do to, but, but, you know, the last couple of months um, there have been times where she's been fit. She's been on the bench, but she, she's not been utilized for longer than, you know, 15, 20 minute cameos, 10 minute cameos. And I think if she had played more 90 minutes or even 45, 50 minute games, I think now you'd be able to, you know, get a player who would be in form is anywhere world-class. We've seen her, you know, do well at the World Cups, do well at She Believe Cups. You know, she was the MVP a couple of months, you know, a month so ago in the the recent international break. So the potential having a world-class player there and not getting enough minutes, I think is is baffling to me. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't see City being able to progress past this Barcelona side, especially with this Barcelona side having stepped up a gear over the last couple of seasons. They've been, you know, I would even go go as far as saying that they've been the best performing side in Europe uh, this season. You know, I can see them going, I can see them, you know, potentially going all the way to the final again. And, um, you know, who knows, Could it, does it set up a potential rematch with Lyon again? We don't know, but, you know, we, we'll find out. Uh, that's definitely
0: one to see, especially if you have if Barcelona do get through and, and we see them playing against uh, Lyon in the semi final, that would be uh, the ultimate revenge for Barcelona. A match of two halves. Birmingham City and Bristol City ended in a 1-1 draw. A huge blow for both, not to take all points available, that are crucial in this relegation battle. Currently, Bristol City are two points below Birmingham, who sit in ninth and with a game in hand. Now, the game finished with Birmingham slightly edging the possession with 52% and finishing with 14 attempts on goal to Bristol's 13. And it was literally a match of two halves. The Robins dominated the first half and opened the scoring in just the 13th minute, and then the second half came along. In Birmingham City, I don't know what they ate in the locker room, what was said, but they came out in the second half with guns blazing, and Christy Murray got the equalizer with a rocket of a shot in the 58th minute, and from that, you know, Birmingham kept dominating the game but weren't able to capitalize, and, and Bristol City were were kind of struggling to get back on that attacking front, and Jesse. What were your biggest takeaways from the match in regards to the relegation battle? Because obviously this was, this was a big battle of two teams who are pretty even in, in terms of quality and the way they're handling this relegation battle. What were your takeaways?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it, it was kind of clear from how the match played out, how important it was to both sides not to lose. I think that, that would have been what both of them went away with. I think for them both to come away with the point. They can probably both be pretty happy about that, especially with the way some of the other fixtures falling. I mean, I think it's kind of testament also to Bristol City's improvement. You know, they lost the reverse fixture of this 4-0. Uh, so, you know, it, it just shows how maybe Birmingham's kind of bright start to the season has faded away somewhat, and and Bristol City have, have under Matt Beard have obviously shown, you know, they're really like growing in confidence and you know, it just feels like they're a lot more willing to both sit back and take risks in a, in a in a strange way. Um, I feel like Matt Beard's very good at instructing his team when to go forward and and when to wait. and I think I think that's worked really really well for them. But yeah, I think what's going to be really key in this relegation battle is West Ham and Aston Villa have to play each other twice. And if one team was to lose both of those games, I think that would be it for that game. So I think for both Bristol and Birmingham it's it's quite hard because you you've kind of got to have your eye on those games because it's going to make a massive difference to to your season season what happens there.
0: You could you can argue that perhaps if Bristol City were playing they were the way that they are now from the start of the season they wouldn't potentially be in this position that they are now. But Abdullah, you know in these matches, you know passion and emotion perhaps is is more important than the football aspect and the tactical aspect that we also oh, love to talk about um, but you know in these matches the relegation battle it's the fight for the life and when you have next season being broadcasted on Sky Sports that's even more of an incentive to to stay up you know the WSL is only growing and you know you really don't want to go down you know focusing on the tactical side of this match because that is what we do what do you think either side needs to be superior in when looking at this relegation battle as a whole
1: you know when when it comes down to any side fighting for relegation. I think it always comes down to having a strong and stable defensive side. You know, I think you need to be solid at the back, compact at the back. You just need, you just don't need to concede goals because, you know, at the end of the day, even if you end up getting a draw, that's a point gained and two save rather than ending up with no points. So you'd rather want one point than zero. Obviously you want three, but one is better than zero. Um, so going by that concept, you'd obviously want a strong defense. And, and generally speaking, every team every team's attacking tactics and attacking endeavors is always based off a strong core and foundation that starts off from the back so both of these teams i think need to need to focus on having a solid def, you know defense and you know and then if you have a player or you have a couple of players who can really nick you a goal here or there whether you do it through set pieces whether you do it through open play counterattacks however it is it makes a lot of sense and i think in this case Obviously, Bristol, I think, are in pole position with Ebony Salmon, who's been a revelation. You know, I don't think she's been talked uh, talked about enough. Again, another one of those underrated players of the pod that I'm just going to plug in here, Ebony Salmon here. But she is the, I think, she's the difference between the two sides. I think, you know, whatever happens, if she's on form, then I don't see anything anything other than Bristol staying up. But so yeah, it always starts with a core core defensive foundation being strong, and then you can build up from there.
0: Yeah, I saw I saw an interesting tweet. Uh, during this match, I'm not sure who tweeted it, so sorry for whoever it was. But it was about Bristol City in this relegation battle. How arguably their two best players are their goalkeeper Sophie Bagley and their striker Ebony Salmon. You know that's that's not a bad thing to have when you're in this relegation battle, as you admit, as you mentioned, Abdullah. You know perhaps your your keeper is the most important player when you're trying to defend such a, a big ask of, of not getting regulated against such a, a really, really tight competition. And you know, perhaps that hopefully that does give Bristol a slight advantage over everyone else. But moving on to another, Everton managed a 5-0 win over Brighton. And I, I honestly wasn't expecting that. I was expecting a, a bit of a closer match, but we do know that Everton are capable of of a lot on their day. Um, this also featured a Haley Razzle hat trick and this win keeps Everton steadily in fifth place, just seven points off the top four. And Abdullah, you mentioned earlier that perhaps Everton, you know, maybe in a couple seasons, next season, when this team is more jailed together. Because at the moment they are really good in this win against Brighton, for example, but on, you know, most of the time, they're not as good as they could set out to be. And consistency isn't isn't their strength. So Arsenal and Manchester United both have Everton to play in the last stretch of the season. We have seen what Everton are capable of. You know, they do have Valérie Galvant, Hayley Razzo Izzy Christensen, you know, Joe Scott. They have amazing players, but perhaps it just hasn't gelled yet. But, you know, with the motivation of perhaps being that difference in such a big race that Arsenal versus Manchester United is at the moment for that last Champions League spot, do you think they can steal points off any one of the two?
1: Yeah, I th- you know, I, you know, all said and done, Willie Kirk has done an amazing job this season. I mean, he has um, he's done something amazing when it comes from um, you know when it's come this season. He's he's been able to take this group of players, the new acquisitions, the old players, and really turn them into uh, a strong outfit. And it, it only does you know it's only it's only good for the league when you have now rather than having two or three strong teams and the rest of the pack behind you're now starting to have four or five teams competing for three places which makes the whole league a lot more interesting and i think having said that maybe like i said about you know the arsenal game i think that might be too much but the united game i can definitely see them picking up points against united you know we've talked about united being a little bit inconsistent still struggling to find their attacking consistency and their best you know best 11 in terms of uh, you know who plays where and formation wise I think I think Everton are a little bit further forward where they've got a set system. I think they generally know who their best players are. It's just a matter of them gelling together and really, you know, producing the performances on a consistent basis. And I think um, both, although both managers are excellent, you know, with their tactics, I think Stoney isn't any behind uh, Willie Kirk. I think they're both uh, excellent in that regard. So I think, I think it'll be close, but I, I can see Everton nicking a quick, you know, a one nil win, smash and grab in and go home and uh, have, a, have a good evening. I think, I think that's, uh, that's my assessment of the, of Everton this season, where I think they may lose to, to, to Arsenal, but I think United is where they can get three points.
0: Maybe off a, a Valerie Galvant header. Um, yeah, yeah. Those, those disastrous Manchester United set pieces. I've, but moving on, you know, another Chelsea win, more Sam Kerr goals, and another Fran Kirby assist. Just another weekend in the WSL, really. And the biggest takeaway from this match was the fact that Hannah Blundell and Jess Carter started as fullbacks. Emma Hayes is obviously trying new things ahead of their big match against Wolfsburg, where Neve Charles is unavailable due to suspension. And obviously Neve Charles is already replacing Marion Melday, who's out because of injury. You know, particularly this, this role as a fullback is, is important because we did see Wolfsburg last week exploit a lot of the wing, particularly in Jonah Anderson and Neve Charles. And and Jesse, what do you think of both Blundell's and Carter's performances? And who do you think will be starting fullbacks on Wednesday?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one because obviously the test against Aston Villa and the test against Wolfsburg are almost incomparable. And I thought Hannah Blundell and Jess Carter were both fine without being, you know, spectacular. I guess what's kind of interesting is that I think lots of people assume that Hannah Blundell will start on Wednesday in the right back position. But she started here at left back and Jess Carter started at right back which is kind of a bit of an odd one because you'd kind of think if you wanted to get Hannah Blundell into the mindset of playing right back, you would maybe play her on that flank. You know, I think broadly speaking, we could probably say that Hannah Blundell is slightly better going forward. She's a better passer of the ball. Interestingly, she intercepts the ball a lot more than Jess Carter, which I think kind of indicates a better reading of the game. But Jess Carter kind of is exceeds her at what sort of one-on-one defending tackling um and that kind of thing but I think logically you want to go with Blundell in the week just due to her age and her experience Jess Carter has had some nervy moments in the Chelsea shirt and I think it would be a lot of stress for, for her to, to go to go into that position at that game so I think we will see Hannah Blundell but it was interesting to see both them play and you know Jess Carter has been hugely hyped as a, as a player for a long, long time. And when she was at Birmingham, she was fantastic. And we've never really seen much of her at, at Chelsea. And I do kind of hope that at, at some point her, her time will come. But I'm not sure if this Wolfsburg game is, is the moment for it.
0: You know, we do talk a lot of squad depth when it comes to Chelsea. And now, you know, it's, putting, it's being put to the test. And, you know, these two players that are up for replacements for the first two choices of of a Chelsea side haven't gotten that much playing time this season, haven't gotten the opportunity to gel with, you know, this new formation that perhaps we're seeing with with Pernil Hart in the midfield and everything. So it's definitely going to be interesting. And obviously, Lena Alberdorf is going to be absent for Wolf, uh, for Wolfsburg. So. Maybe it gives Chelsea a bit more of a chance, but um, obviously then you have Ingrid Edgin to worry about, so it's still going to be a good watch. But it's going to be interesting to see how Chelsea deal with this. Leading on to that, this is the end of the, of the episode. We hope you enjoyed box to box and we'll see you on our next episode to analyze all Women's Champions League second leg ties that we're so looking forward to. And make sure you're following our official Twitter account, box, box W Cell on Twitter to keep up to date with all information and updates about the pod, as well if you wanna follow us individually, that's cool too. We'll see you on our next episode. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye.